Hi, my name is Kathy Harrelson, and I am a part of our Women in the Word teaching team, and I am genuinely so excited to be here with you this morning to study God's Word. Recently, I was thinking about a tradition that my brother and I have at Christmas. Robert and I did not start doing this when we were young children, but somewhere along the way, we started making chocolate-covered peanut butter balls together every Christmas. I absolutely love peanut butter balls. They're one of my favorite food. And he kind of has his responsibilities. I have my responsibilities. I usually get the double boiler out and am making the chocolate, which is going to cover them. In true sibling fashion, we banter back and forth. He tells me I'm being lazy because I'm just standing at the stove. I, of course, being the sister, say back to him, stop whining, just make the peanut butter balls and make them rounder. He does not make round peanut butter balls. But to be honest, I don't really care because they still taste the same. Um, Usually, he is the one that goes and gets the ingredients. He lives in South Carolina. We're often in his kitchen. Sometimes his kids, Beth, especially my niece, loves chocolate and peanut butter and Reese's like I do. So she usually helps us. And there aren't very many ingredients in our peanut butter balls, but there are a few that we cannot make peanut butter balls without. We cannot make peanut butter balls without powdered sugar. We cannot make peanut butter balls without peanut butter. And we can't make them without chocolate. Without those three ingredients, they will not be very yummy. They will not be very tasty. And when I think about us and our desire to walk with Jesus or grow in spiritual maturity, to love the Lord with our heart, to glorify him, whatever that is that is motivating you, there are some ingredients we need in that or it's not going to go particularly well. Now, we are saved just by believing in Jesus, by grace through faith. We don't have to do anything. But in our walk with him, in our growth, there's some tools or things we need. And sometimes when we're not aware of them or don't utilize them, we can kind of get stuck. And so as you're listening today, I would love for you to listen for, is there one of those ingredients I need to focus on? Or is there something I need to talk to the Lord about in that area that might make a difference for me? To do that, we are going to study 1 Samuel 15 and 16. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to that. I'm going to give us a little bit of a reminder about where we have been. God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, have requested a king, a human king. God had been their king, but they wanted a human one like the other countries around them. This was not a good decision, but God gave them a king anyway. He gave them King Saul. King Saul has been very disobedient at points, and yet he is still the king. And we are going to see Samuel, the prophet, give God's direction a command to Saul. If we need to study a little bit of background to understand where this command is coming from, or it might be confusing to us. So in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we are reminded about a group of people, the Amalekites. They were an evil people. They had not done good. And years previously, Amalek, on the way, as they came out of Egypt, this is as the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked the Israelites on the way when they were faint and weary, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. The Amalekites were not a good people. They were an evil people, and they had years previously not been good to the nation of Israel. And at that time, this statement had been made that one day the memory of Amalek will be blotted out from under heaven. You shall not forget 
I don't know about you, but at times in my life, or perhaps watching a colleague or a friend, you have seen someone experience injustice. And maybe they've experienced it for a long time. And you've hated that, you've wished you could protect them, you wish you could stop it, you wish that what was wrong could be made right. This has been years since this has happened. God was going to finally, finally bring justice to this evil people who had not been good to Israel and to others. This was the moment that God was going to finally say, enough is enough. And we are going to read this command at the beginning of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel first says to Saul, listen, listen to the words of the Lord. And then in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God gives Saul a command. There's a part of us that may feel like this is harsh, but we trust the character and goodness of God that he knows what he's doing. And there's a part of us that understands and feels a sense of relief that some justice is finally going to be served for some injustice that had been done. So what does Saul do with this command? He summons the people and they go to war. We're further reminded that this war is about justice. It is not about a capitalistic campaign or just taking out a bunch of people because Saul sees the Kenites who'd been kind to the nation of Israel and they are not attacked. They are not punished because they had not done an injustice. So they go to war and in verse 7 we see that Saul defeats the Amalekites and we are tempted to think, great, this is justice. This is something that years previously had been stated was going to happen. We are finally seeing this happen. But something goes wrong in verse 9. Read with me. Saul and the people spared Agag. They did not devote everything to destruction. They spared Agag. They spared the best of the sheep and of the auction and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. And they would not utterly destroy them all. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Saul disobeys God. This is supposed to be about justice, and Saul has not followed through with what was commanded. Samuel and the Lord were very grieved. Read verse 11 with me at what God says. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. God is grieved by this decision that Saul has made to be disobedient. We actually see this word regret three times in chapter 15. We see it in verse 11 here, in verse 29, and in verse 35. In verse 11 and in verse 35, it can rightly be translated or understood as grieved. God is just grieved with what has happened. He is saddened. God doesn't regret, as we read in verse 29, in the sense that he changes his mind. He regrets something he's done as if he does something wrong and has to go back and fix it. God does not and cannot regret in that way. He is perfect and right. However, he does regret and that he is saddened by what has occurred. So what happens after Saul's disobedience? What does Saul do? Well, interestingly enough, he builds a monument to himself and then he goes to Samuel, this prophet, who has given him the command as if he brags about what he has done. 
Read with me in verse 13. Saul says to Samuel, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He clearly had not performed the commandment of the Lord, but yet he says he does. And as I watch Saul go through a list of reasons and excuses and statements, I'm so perplexed because it seems to jump back and forth. Part of me thinks, was he self-deceived enough to think he actually had obeyed? Or is this one of those situations like you tell a child to go clean all their room and they clean half of it and bring you in to show you and say, look, my clean room, as if you're not going to notice or care about the other half that has not been cleaned, right? And to be honest, as I read through these, I personally have felt very warned by Saul, to be honest, because I have seen myself do these things. I have been in a situation where I thought, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And later on, I read God's word and was like, I did not do what God wanted me to do. Or I've been in a situation where I've done part of what God asked me to do and just kind of hoped he wouldn't notice. So I can see myself here and I am warned by what I see Saul doing. Samuel, however, does not just overlook it. He says, well, Saul, if you've killed and destroyed everything you were supposed to, then why am I hearing these sheep? And why am I hearing these oxen? Samuel confronts Saul about his disobedience, and Saul continues with a list of reasons and explanations. Read with me in verse 15. Saul said, they, referring to the people, have brought them from the Amalekites. They, do you see any blame shifting there? I have found myself in situations where I'm quick to say, well, the, my colleague did when you're called out on something. Unfortunately, I can see myself here. Then Saul says, for the people have spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But this was for you, God. We disobeyed, but it was for this really great reason. Have I found myself at times explaining to God why what I did was a really good idea? And then we see Saul saying, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. See, I did part of what you wanted me to do. Unfortunately, I can see myself here and I am warned by this. Samuel, having listened to all this, says, stop, stop. He repeats the Lord's commands, exactly what Saul was supposed to do. So what is Saul's response now? Read with me in verse 19 as we see what Samuel says to Saul. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in his sight? Saul still does not own it. He walks back through in detail the very same excuses and the very same reasons that he had already given I feel like a good part of this chapter was reading through Saul's excuses or reasons why he didn't do what he's supposed to do and watching Samuel's interaction with him. So Samuel explains again to Saul the importance of obedience. This is not new information for Saul. Saul knows obedience is important. And yet Samuel describes again how incredibly important obedience is. Read verse 22 with me. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey and to listen. 
Sacrifices and offerings were not bad things, but they were not a cover for disobedience. Any more than for me, me continuing on a path of disobedience and then trying to cover it by going to church or giving to these things makes my obedience okay. It doesn't. Obedience really matters. There, listen to how it's described, these words in verse 23, describing disobedience. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from becoming king. There are consequences to Saul's disobedience that not only impact him, but they impact the entire nation of Israel is impacted by Saul's disobedience. And you know it's true, and I know it's true, that my disobedience doesn't just impact me, it impacts those around me. Saul finally says, I've sinned, and he says it's because I feared the people more than I feared your voice, God. To be honest, I don't really think that Saul's um, repentance here was genuine. As we watch how his life goes, as we watch even in the passage we're going to continue, we see that Saul asked for Samuel to honor him. He asked that he go back with him, largely perhaps to save face among the people. I don't think that Saul's repentance here is genuine. He gives the reason that he has feared the people instead of fearing God. Are we finally to the real excuse? Possibly, probably, maybe not. Either way, I know there are times that I disobey for the very same reason. For I listen to what other people say instead of listening to what God says. As I mentioned, Saul wants Samuel to come back with him. Samuel says no. Saul is not happy about it, so he reaches out to grab Samuel's robe, and he rips it. And there's this picture of what is getting ready to happen. Look at verse 28. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel for you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Samuel does change his mind and go back with Saul, but not before he does what Saul was supposed to do, being devote everything to destruction. So Samuel kills the king of the Amalekites, as Saul should have done. Reading this story again, I see myself in it, and it makes me want to catch myself earlier in my list of excuses and run to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Or maybe better yet, I could just obey in the first place. So we are going to turn the corner and see a story in a life of obedience. We've seen this story of Saul, this story of disobedience, and we're going to see in Samuel a story of obedience, of doing what God wants you to do. To be honest, if I was in charge and had written this next part, which I did not, here's what I would have said. I would have said, all right, Israel, this whole disobedience Saul thing was kind of a train wreck. So here's what we're going to do. I'm sending out a scout team through the entire nation of Israel. We're going to take the law and we're going to look for some people who have kept the law for a really long time. Nobody young, some old man or woman who's kept the law for years. We're going to compare their life to them. And this is who is going to be king or queen because we don't want to do this again. That's what I would have written. But that's not what was written. And I think it can be a little curious and a little wonderful. So let's jump in and read this story about Samuel. Samuel, to be honest, had been going through a tough time. We read clearly that he was grieved. 
He was angry about what had happened. He knew Saul. He'd anointed Saul. He watched up close Saul that likely he'd had some affection for at some point, experienced a downfall. He knew what was happening in the nation of Israel. This had been very difficult for him. And yet, the Lord arrives at a time that Samuel had been experiencing some grief, some emotional difficulty, and he gives a command that for reasons that we're going to see to Samuel felt like a hard command. The command given to Saul was hard for Saul for some reason, and this command given to Samuel is hard for Samuel. In fact, he thinks it may cost his life. Let's read about it in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among the sons, among his sons. So the Lord is sending Samuel to anoint a new king, and he tells him where to go to find this king. Samuel is concerned, and he says to the Lord, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Again, another reason that I think Saul's repentance was probably not genuine, because Samuel thinks he's going to die by Saul's hand for anointing a new king. I love here watching Samuel take this very real concern to the Lord. I love that he did that. He didn't disobey. He didn't half obey. He didn't call a friend to maybe kind of talk him out of this hard command because he'd been going through an emotionally tough time. He took his concern to the Lord and was honest about what was going on and was honest about his concern. And the Lord provides an answer. Watch what happens. The Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. God provides Samuel with further guidance. And this is secretly one of my favorite parts of this whole passage. Because I imagine what would have happened if Samuel hadn't talked to the Lord about it. What may have happened? When we think about the blessing of obedience, sometimes we think about the fact that circumstances turn out right if we don't mess them up with the disobedience. And at times that is true. But one of the blessings of obedience to me is getting to see and taste who God is. And we watch Samuel taste up close the compassion of God listening to him when he'd been going through a hard time. The kindness of God to provide a way out. This provision this wisdom of the Lord that Samuel gets to experience because he takes his concern back to the Lord. And after taking that concern back, hearing an answer from the Lord, he doesn't wait indefinitely. He actually obeys. We talk to the Lord, and then it comes to a point where it's time to actually do what God has asked us to do. So I want to stop for a minute and think a little bit about this as Samuel obeys the Lord. We watch him go in verse 4. He does what the Lord commanded. He sacrifices. He invites Jesse's son to the sacrifice. And shortly we are going to see Samuel anoint David king. David is going to experience the blessing of Samuel's obedience as well as the entire nation of Israel and getting a new king. Our obedience doesn't just impact us. 
it can impact those around us as well. And as we stop and reflect on this first ingredient of obedience, what are some things we can walk away with? Um, Actually, you know, for just a minute, let me keep going before we, well, I think it's really important that we look at what we can do in response to this. What can we do in response to what God says? Well, you know what? We need to ask the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to help us listen to him. We need to listen to the Lord and listen to his commands. That is hard for us to do sometimes. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me obey. Ask him to step into that with us. And then what do we need to do? We need to actually obey. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how often listening to the Lord sometimes for me is challenging because there are a lot of things that say things to me. There are a lot of things that say things to me that are um, out in the world, that are in the culture, that are things that are going on, and those matter. And those impact me. Maybe it's a politician or philosophy or something famous. But to be honest, those are not the times when it's the hardest for me to listen to the Lord. You know sometimes when it's hardest for me to listen to the Lord? When it's someone close to me, when it's someone kind and wonderful who I know and who's been good to me, and they are saying things or they are doing things that are not consistent with what God's Word says. I was reminded when I was in high school and early college, I feel like this was in some extent my first experience with this. I was reading some things in the Word, and they weren't real consistent with what some of the people around me were saying or were doing, and I was kind of confused about it, and I even talked to some of those people about it and asked them about it, and again, they were kind, good people, but after reading God's Word and talking to the Lord, I realized this is, this is Lord, not, not what your Word says. So what is it that you want me to do. And there reached a point at which you look at those kind, wonderful people around you and you think, you know what? This is not what God's word says, so I'm gonna have to do something different. We're listening. Remember, this whole thing started with Samuel, with listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. We need to listen to what God says, take our concerns to him, and obey. As I mentioned previously, um, Samuel was going to anoint this king, and I had indicated that I would have walked through the land and looked at the most obedient person that I could find and made them king. However, the Lord does something different. Look at me in verse 6, and we are going to see how the Lord chooses a king. Uh, Samuel arrives, and he looks at Jesse's first son, Eliab, and he thinks, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I've followed what God says. Here we are. Here's the king. However, the Lord says to Samuel, do, lock, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We've gone all the way through chapter 15. We've seen disobedience. I've jokingly indicated how I would pick a new king, but that is not what the Lord says. He is looking at the heart. What is happening here? Well, the heart, often sometimes we think about the heart being just our feelings. 
But when we look at the scriptures, we see that the heart is much more. It is our intentions. It's our motivations. It's what's going on underneath. It's our inner real us. It's only something that God knows. It is something that we are born with a wicked and deceitful heart, but God comes and renews and changes our heart so that we can love him. And we see on your verse sheet, look at Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, and we're going to understand a little more this connection between obedience and the heart. For no good tree bears good fruit, nor again does bad tree bear Sorry, let me start again. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." That makes sense, right? If hate is in my heart, what comes out? Hateful words and actions. If love is in my heart, what comes out? Loving words and actions. Look a little more, and I want us to see this connection between the heart and obedience, especially in regards to David, who's getting ready to be anointed king. Watch these verses from and about David in the scriptures. On your verse sheet, Acts 13, 22. He raised up David, the Lord did, to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Do you see the connection there between the heart and doing God's will? In 1 Chronicles 29, David prays this for his son Solomon. He says, my son, grant to him, Lord, to Solomon a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. What is going on in our heart comes out. And the Lord sees that and the Lord knows that. The Lord is not just looking at the outside. The Lord is looking inside at the heart. So Samuel and Jesse bring the sons of Jesse before Samuel. Son one, the answer was from the Lord, no. Son two, no, he's not the king. Son three, he's not the king. Son four, he's not the king. Son five, not that one. Son six, no. Son seven, no. And that's all the kings that was there. And so Samuel says, is there anyone else? Any more sons? And Jesse says, yes, there's one out keeping the sheep. And Samuel says, go and get him. And he brings him in. And in verse 12, we see David. Now David is described as ready, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. God sees what Samuel can't see and what Jesse can't see. He is looking at the heart of David. And David has an absolutely beautiful heart. You're going to see it in the upcoming weeks as we continue in verse Samuel. David has a beautiful heart. It is not a perfect heart, but it is beautiful. One of my favorite verses is actually a verse David wrote in Psalm 27 where he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, and I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David 
loved God. He loved God's beauty. If you want to go see more of David's heart, read in the Psalms. At the top of some of them, it says a Psalm of David, like Psalm 23 or 139. And you will see David has this amazing, not perfect, but amazing heart for the Lord. And something else incredibly significant happens right here. Look with me at your verse sheet at Luke 1. This is significant for the entire story of Scripture, what has happened with David being anointed king. Luke 1, verses 32 and 33, talks about Jesus. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We are watching this amazing thing happen. We are watching um, David be anointed king. David's anointing as king points to what? Jesus being anointed king. David is a great king. Jesus is a perfect king with a perfect heart, with a perfect obedience, whose kingdom will never, ever, ever end. And what we are watching happen here in David's anointing points us forward and reminds us of the anointing of Jesus who is to come. We've now stopped and look at this second ingredient. We first looked at obedience, and now we're going to step back and maybe apply some of these things about the heart to us. I think we've seen that the heart and obedience are connected, and we need to ask God to search our heart. May I encourage you, before you do that, to read Psalm 51. It's an example of David and where the Lord brings um, his heart before David, where he'd committed adultery and murder. And David genuinely repents. He is sorry, and he finds grace and mercy there. And as I ask the Lord to search my heart, it's important for me to remember I find grace and mercy from the Lord what is going on in my heart? What's going on underneath my gossip? Or when we're lazy, or when we wrestle with pornography, or when there's an addiction, what is going on in my heart that might be impacting this? Lord, am I loving a comfort here more than your comfort? Am I loving what people say about me more than what you say? Asking the Lord to search your heart can be really tricky, but really wonderful, because when he points that out, he meets us with grace. He meets us with something better. We get to bring the truth to our minds of God's gracious love for us and how much better that is than these other things that I've been doing. We ask God to search our heart, and then we ask him to renew our heart so that it becomes more like his. Obedience and the heart are incredibly essential for us. But there's one other thing, and we are going to look at that. I would like for you to kind of walk through this passage carefully with me. We're going to look at it, and then in the end, in just a little bit, we are going to see some um, application to us. But walk through this carefully with me. In verse 13, something happens. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Amy talked about how the rushing on of the spirit in the Old Testament 
often indicates to us that God is designating and equipping a certain person for a certain task. Certainly we can see that here. God is equipping David for the task of being king, and he is removing that calling from Saul. So this would make sense to us. In the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit comes and permanently indwells anyone who believes in Jesus. The Holy Spirit equips, teaches, guides, purifies. The Holy Spirit is within us and stays within us permanently. As we continue on in this passage, it also is a unique situation where we see a spirit come upon Saul This spirit that comes upon Saul can rightly be described or translated as displeasing, evil, or harmful. And there are a variety of opinions about the details of the spirit that comes upon Saul after his continued disobedience and the removal of his kingship. Theologians agree that much of the details of this unique situation are things we just don't know for sure. We do know for sure that God does know evil. And we have seen that God uses, at times, in his sovereignty, harmful entities to accomplish his purposes. For example, we see in the Old Testament as God uses evil countries to bring judgment on the nation of Israel. Yet we also see that God is compassionate to Saul and providing relief, as well as we see um, in the upcoming verses we're going to learn how. Also, as I mentioned previously, for Christians today, we do not need to worry about an evil spirit indwelling us. It's the Holy Spirit that permanently indwells us, and that is not something that we would need to be concerned about. Now, what happens after this unique situation? Um, We are going to see that after the Holy Spirit departs from Saul, he is going to enable and work in David right away. Was Saul experiencing this pain and this difficulty? Saul's servants suggest that they find someone to play the lyre for Saul so that it would soothe him and perhaps bring him some relief. And so one of those men mentions David. Read with me in verse 18 about David. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. The Holy Spirit enables David to be a man of character as the anointed king. Isn't this such great news for the nation of Israel? This man that the Holy Spirit is empowering is going to be king. So they go and get David, and they bring David into his service, and Saul loves him. He becomes Saul's armor bearer, and he keeps David in his service. This is wonderful. And then in verse 23, watch this. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. The Holy Spirit enables David to serve Saul as the anointed king. He enables David to serve Saul as the anointed king. This service will be to Saul, and it will be to the entire nation of Israel for years to come. As we look at this story, we see this unique work of the Holy Spirit in David, and there's some things we can be reminded of about the Holy Spirit works now, and at times works within us. 
The Holy Spirit also works to build character in us. We see in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit works within us to convict, to purify, to, to teach, to bear fruit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We also have the Holy Spirit equip us for service to serve other people. Watch in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 on your verse sheet. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are also given the Holy Spirit that works within us and equips us to serve people around us. To be honest, this is very encouraging to me. We are not thrown into the deep end alone. We get to look to. We get to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us. We are not now nor ever if we're in Christ alone. As we work on these character things, as we serve other people, the Holy Spirit is present with us. And that is incredibly encouraging to me. We also, thankfully, as we look at all these ingredients maxed together, I'm not supposed to do obedience on my own. It's the Holy Spirit at work that helps me. I can't change my heart by myself. I absolutely have to have the Holy Spirit helping me. Obedience is essential in our growth with the Lord. Our heart is essential in our growth with the Lord. The work of the Holy Spirit is essential in our growth with the Lord. We cannot and should not do any of those things alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. So we ask the Holy Spirit to incline our heart toward the Lord, to empower us in obedience so that we can not get stuck in our journey of spiritual growth, of our heart for the Lord, of walking with Jesus. This is an essential combination that we get from the Lord and we see laid out in 1 Samuel 15 and 16. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, what a gift you are. I cannot imagine life without you. I am so grateful for you. I pray for me and I pray for all of us. Would you please incline our hearts toward the Lord? Would you please empower our obedience? Would you please grow us in our love for the Lord? Thank you so much, so much for your presence. You are called the helper in Scripture, and you are our helper. We are so incredibly grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.